Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, an infectious disease expert who gives her opinion on what's happening in MLS and college football with the coronavirus. We've had some good interview guests lately, including Jurgen Klopp, Angus McNabb, and Pablo Maurer, along with many others. So check those interviews out. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. We'll have Dr. Celine Gounder on soon, but let's start with some talk about the soccer world with my friend Chris Whittingham, who co-hosts the Chelsea Miked Up podcast. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you? Yeah, doing great. I'm glad we have an actual expert to talk about the virus and not just us talking nonsense. <laughs> I think it's going to be good. It's it's not long. It's 10 minutes with uh, Dr. Gounder, my wife, just getting into the meat of the issues. So stick around for that. For now, though, let's talk Champions League. We've seen just a second ago, we're recording this late Wednesday afternoon. PSG come from behind late to beat Atalanta 2-1. PSG was just a couple of minutes from being eliminated here. Down late, they get two goals after the 90th minute. And great game for one thing, a real good advertisement for single elimination quarterfinals here. But an impressive amount of toughness mentally from PSG, which we saw come back against Borussia Dortmund in the last round, maybe more toughness than we've come to associate you know, in the past with, with PSG, which has always seemed a little soft. Yeah, how often have we seen them go out haplessly, where they need a goal, they have to try and fight back into the game, and they get nowhere near it. And it's funny, because I'm trying to sort out my thoughts in the game. On the one hand, it just kind of felt like Atalanta were always going to break down. They are not a team that put 11 behind the ball and lock teams down defensively. They're high-pressing, they get after teams, and we saw in that first half what they can do, but... At a certain point, their legs are going to give out, and with that coinciding with Mbappe coming on was just a deadly combination. And it was funny because in the last 10 minutes, I'm thinking Atalanta can't hang on, but also PSG are such bottlers all the time. They always, at the last, can never get that goal that I didn't know if they'd be able to find a way through. But in the end, just the superior individual talent. You saw Neymar, you saw Mbappe make real impacts, and the question is, as they face better teams that are more built to last than an Atalanta team is, and as great of a story they are, they're just not of the very highest echelon in Europe. Are they going to be able, against either Leipzig or Atletico Madrid, to be able to put in a similar kind of performance? Yeah, you mentioned when Mbappe came on, literally at that moment was when Papu Gomez went off hurt for Atalanta, and I was kind of like, uh-oh, I think Atalanta might be in trouble here. <laughs> uh, you know, not just with Mbappe coming on, but you lose your best player, your setup guy. And Atalanta looked exhausted. Duvan Zapata could barely move and was kept losing the ball, finally came off himself. And I'll give Peter Schmeichel on the CBS broadcast some credit because before the game, he said he felt like Atalanta needed to get two goals, not just one, fairly early in this game, he thought, to put them in a position to advance. And sure enough, they got one. It was a nice goal. And yet, in the end, they didn't create many chances in the last 30 minutes of the game. Create any chances, for that matter. And, and PSG just had too much quality, ends up getting the two goals to keep it from having to go to extra time. This is the weaker side of the bracket. So PSG will face either Leipzig or Atletico Madrid. That's not to say those are bad teams, but just compared to the other side. Now, like a lot of people 
don't want to play Atletico Madrid, for example, but this really does look like a chance for PSG to get to the final and potentially win this holy grail for their club. And that's the feeling that I had in the last 10 minutes the most. You talked about the single elimination drama. That's really that pit that you feel in your stomach of, oh my God, Atalanta, this tiny team. Uh, There was a tweet before the game that Neymar's salary is more than the entire wage budget for the entire Atalanta squad. And this tiny club is going to get to the semifinal and have a real legitimate... You're not playing Bayern Munich in the semifinal. You're playing either Atleti or you're playing Leipzig. A real chance to get to a final. And ultimately, that's the same theory of the case for any of the teams in, in, in that half of the bracket. If you look at Atletico, at least they've recently made the Champions League final. But those other three teams have no history in this competition. So the the chance for them to do this and the chance for them to go on and make a final and all of a sudden you're in a single elimination game probably against City, Bayern, or Barcelona, that's as on a neutral field with no fans, by the way. You don't have that same kind of added pressure. This is a once in a you know, generation opportunity for these clubs to do something. And that's why, from the neutral standpoint, Atalanta not being able to do it, because you know they will never have a better chance to to get to a Champions League final. That's always so devastating. I think everyone on social media had kind of, if they didn't at the beginning of the match, were definitely backing Atalanta by the end, and were so gutted when they went out. It's also fascinating. I felt like there was some real-time history taking place here in the sense that Neymar had missed so many opportunities in this game to score, including that early one where he had a breakaway and pushed it completely wide right. But he had other opportunities as well and did not finish, did not really put a shot on frame in most cases. And had PSG lost this game, I think Neymar would have been totally blamed for it. I also think it might have been Neymar's last game at PSG, And his entire stretch at PSG would have been written off as this giant failure. Now, there's still a chance that could happen. Mm -hmm. But two goals in three minutes late in this game changes the narrative completely. And that's what I love about European sport and this sport in particular. And really just any sport done well. I think basketball does this really well. Where you look at, let's say, the Western Conference in the NBA where... If James Harden and the Rockets go out in the second round, it's, well, James Harden can't win big. If LeBron goes out early, it's, well, he went to the West. Like, every loser has this narrative that's going to fall on top of them. And maybe that that didn't happen for Atalanta. There's such a feel-good story. You don't ever say, I mean, other than they'll never have a better chance. With PSG, you're absolutely right. Even though Neymar, and I thought Jamie Carragher won the halftime debate on the CBS set, Neymar was at the center of everything that was good for PSG in that first half, and yet was at the center of everything that was bad as well. Those misses would have been rerun over and over and over again, and the weight of PSG are chokers would have absolutely fallen on them in full time. It would have, I think, in some respects, superseded the Atalanta story. As big and as cool as it is, that's what I love is those narratives that every team takes the pitch with. It's just the best part of the sport for me. Yeah, so let's talk about who they're going to meet in their next game, PSG, either Leipzig or Atletico Madrid. And am I wearing too many American-centric glasses here that my main thought heading into this game is, is Tyler Adams going to start? Well, I, I think I think that's our perspective. I actually think one of the one of the angles we missed on the first game was, is Kaylor Navas the best player in CONCACAF? Because he, I think he's the reason why they, they were still in it in that first half. He made a couple of massive saves. So I agree. I think that's probably the biggest one because I just, I don't think I really fancy either team to do well in this competition. And yes, Diego Simeone managed team, 
going into a single elimination game, they're going to have a chance to beat anybody, right? If they be, if they face City, if they face Bayern, if they face Barca in the final, they have a chance because they can lock a team down, right? But I just think they have so little going forward. They have great players, but their scoring record in La Liga is abysmal. Like for, for, for a team that has, I just sounded like Jamie Carragher, that went way too high pitch. Uh, <laughs> for a team that has so much attacking talent, for a team that has invested so much in, into no longer being the team that wins every game 1-0, They've done nothing with it. Like, their scoring record is not good enough. So I just don't think that they're a real threat. I think they can lose to Leipzig without question. But I just think a Leipzig with Werner, a Leipzig that was on better form in November, December than they were towards the end of the Bundesliga season, I just don't know if they have enough to really make them pay, especially with Werner gone now. So I think Atletico will go through. But I'm not convinced at all that their chances to beat PSG or anybody, really. Yeah, I do think that Atletico Madrid's going to advance here in part because I've been so disappointed with Leipzig since the restart. And that was a Leipzig that had Timo Werner. He will not be with them for this game. And speaking of CONCACAF, Hector Herrera hearing might start for Atletico Madrid, which would be an interesting one. But yeah, I, 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 Tyler Adams has been a guest on this podcast. I'd love to see him get a chance to start in a Champions League quarterfinal. And they certainly earned their place here. They dominated Tottenham Hotspur in the round of 16. And it's just a bit unfortunate for Leipzig that everything has happened in the world <laughs> since yeah. then. Because <laughs> if they had played this quarterfinal not long after they beat Spurs, I would feel really good about Leipzig's chances. 100%. I think if you airlift that team to now, they'd have a great opportunity. And that's as you said, the biggest bummer in kind of the five months in between. Maybe, you know, with the extra time, they've been able to kind of regroup. Maybe the Werner transfer saga was looming over everything, and now they can kind of move on and really focus on the team that they do have. But I just really wish that we could have seen this tie back in March because I think Leipzig would have done it and, and, and gotten into the semifinal. On the Adams thing, you mentioned that you want to see him play. I don't want to just see him play. I want to see him play and start in holding midfield. I'm really tired of the Tyler Adams at right back experiment. I don't like it when Greg Berhalter does it. I don't like it when Julian Nagelsmann does it. Play him in holding midfield. He can be the one of the best holding midfielders in the history of this country. Can you play him in his proper position, please? We should get a, like a, a joint podcast interview with Tyler Adams and Crystal Dunn about being played out of position as an outside <laughs> back by by their coaches and how much they hate it. Because Tyler Adams, I don't think has totally said this publicly. I don't think he enjoys it, and he shouldn't because it's not what he's best at. I mean, he's a good defender. And he's better going forward, but just doesn't really give that sense of overlapping and joining the attack. And he's kind of meant to be part of a shape. And I just think that kind of nullifies what Tyler Adams is really good at. I think Tyler Adams, you give him the middle, but he can cover the whole thing. And I think when you limit the scope of his play is when you kind of lose the essence of who, of who Tyler Adams is as a player for me. Is just give him the whole middle of the field to cover and he'll, you know, cover, the, you know, every blade of grass and make life difficult for the opposition to play. So I just hope hope that if he does indeed play, he's at least played in his proper position. Yeah, me too. Barcelona-Bayern on Friday. These are two heavyweight names, obviously, and yet there's a real feeling that Bayern Munich is just a machine right now, has been for a while, and that Barcelona might be in a, in a position to get blown out here, not just beaten. And I, to me, the messy thing is always why you don't predict that. I think Barcelona will have a chance in this game, but 
if there's any team that's going to ruthlessly pick apart Barcelona, we've seen kind of end of era performances in the Champions League where a team just get gets ripped apart to such a degree that it's like, oh well, this is unsustainable. They can't continue on like this. We've seen that before, and it's certainly a possibility. I just think as long as Messi is on the other side, and look, Barcelona are going to want to try and keep the ball as well. The one thing that Kike Setien has brought to them is that at the very least they play that old style of keeping the ball and want to have seventy percent of the ball. So I'll be curious how the possession battle plays out because Bayern want to do the same thing. I just think that as a team, and this was one of the big talking points during the Atalanta-PSG game, was Atalanta clearly have a well-drilled style of play in which the collective is greater than the sum of the parts, whereas Paris Saint-Germain is exactly the opposite. I think we're heading towards a match that is exactly the same thing, except the the Bayern individuals are just as good as the Barcelona individuals, and yet the collective is so much better than Barcelona's collective. You definitely make Bayern heavy favorites to go through, just because... As a team, they are so much better. I do like the comparison that my friend Musa Kwanga made in something he wrote for The Ringer, though. You should check out his Stadio podcast. It's terrific. He compared Messi to a gunslinger in a Western who's just totally backed into a corner and just starts firing away, trying to fire his way out of everything. And... Like, I, I'm bummed out by the fact that Barcelona seems to be a one-man team more than ever these days, but I'm also sort of excited to see Messi just say, screw it, I'm going to try and win this thing by myself. And yet, that's my least favorite Messi, and it's weird because you'd think <laughs> that it's him, you know, trying to be his very best, but we've seen it for Argentina, you've mentioned at times we've seen it this season, and I just think that the most beautiful part of Lionel Messi as a player is that he also can be part of a collective, right? There's so many individual talents, like Zlatan Ibrahimovic for me. It's just a standout individual, and you kind of build the whole thing around him. Whereas I think Lionel Messi at his very best when he was fit and could really be part of a team pressing, which he really can't be anymore, can also fall into the collective and just be a cog in the machine while also being the best player in the world. And so I kind of don't... I want to see a better team performance from that Barcelona midfield and from his partners up top. But I just don't think we're going to get it. I got to tell you something, Chris. Xavi is not walking through that door. (laughs) Andres Iniesta is not walking through that door. And that's kind of sad because classic Barcelona, the kind that will be remembered in the history books, was Messi, Xavi, Iniesta. And I just don't think we're going to see that again. And David Villa as well, and Pedro, and Alexi Sanchez, and Neymar. Even Neymar fit into the team structure there, and Jordi Alba, and like all like there's Mascherano, like there's everyone. Busquets has fit into a team structure, and now it just seems like it's eroded. And that's ultimately the great failing of Barcelona and their board and their executives in these last five years. I'm just glad I got to play the Rick Pitino game there. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the other quarterfinal. Manchester City, Lyon, playing for like the 10th time, it seems, like in the last couple of years. <laughs> I guess the question just has to be, Lyon was good enough barely to get past Juventus. What kind of a shot do they have against City? Well, we've seen Lyon play pretty well against Man City in the group stage, but I just think they were a bit stronger back then. They do have Memphis to pie back, which is huge towards them, at least giving something in the attack. But under Rudy Garcia, they're just a bit more negative. So it really comes down to, can Lyon nullify... Man City and the way that they nullified Juventus over the two legs made it difficult for them to play. And I just don't know if they have enough, if they're really built to do that against the very best teams. And so I just think that Man City are probably going to have an easier time ripping them apart than Juventus did just because Juventus don't have a t- or didn't have under Maurizio Sarri attacking patterns that worked regularly, whereas Man City do. So 
I think that Leon, again, just on the basis of it being single elimination, have a chance. But Man City's strength, I think, will ultimately end up being too much for the way that Leon are probably going to try and sit up about it. They're not going to try and go at City. They're not going to try and have Memphis Depay be this individual talent that can get them over the line. They're going to try and defend. I just don't think you can do that sustainably against City for 90 minutes. I'll mention something I said the other day. I, I remain hopeful that the CBS studio will put together a montage of Pep Guardiola overthinking Champions League elimination <laughs> games yeah. and, and recalling some of the stuff he's done in some of these games. And then... Asking the question, once we know the lineups, is he doing it again for this game? Or is this, you know, Pep, you know, being, a, you know, not overthinking things. It's easier to be in a position when you're going against Lyon than when you're going against a team like Spurs or Liverpool, the teams that have eliminated City in Champions League the last couple of years, which knew City extremely well from playing them several times in the league. That said, Lyon has played City uh, recently a fair amount in European competition. It's hard for me not to look ahead to a semifinal of Bayern Munich, Manchester City, which would excite me greatly. That, I think that would be the best potential game in the competition and probably the final in actuality. Now, Atleti can ruin things with their awful football from the right side of the bracket, <laughs> but I, I also think that that's probably the preview of the final if we get there, just because they're the two best teams remaining in the competition. They're the co-favorites. They're, they're, they played the best in the round of 16, and yet... There probably will be a team from the right side of the bracket that ruins it, or maybe Barcelona or Leon pull something off, just because very rarely does the Champions League set up in that way. How often have we hoped for Clasico semifinals and Clasico finals, and the Champions League very rarely stays true to form, as much as the results so far, other than Leon going through, since its restart have pretty much gone to form. Awful football from Atletico Madrid. Tell us how you really feel, Chris. I just, I don't. I can't stand the negativity from a team that, like, they signed Tomo Lamar from Monaco. They signed, like, they have all these incredible attacking players, and they get there, and they can't score goals. I just, I don't like that style of play. I don't like the one nils. It works. And by the way, the biggest misnomer as well is that they're still underdogs. Look at the money that they've spent in the transfer market. <laughs> they have a new stadium. I think Diego Simeone is the highest paid manager in the world. They're yes. not underdogs anymore. They're not underdogs. And they still play dreadful football. I would still take the awful football, in your words, of Atletico <laughs> Madrid and Diego Simeone and have him bring that awful football to coach the U.S. men's national team. Well, I will give you, right, at international level, I think that actually makes more sense. I, I don't think that Didier Deschamps played particularly pretty stuff with France, right? I think they could be much better from a, from a flowing attacking perspective, given the attacking quality that they have. But it just makes more sense in these short national team cycles that managers have to train to just teach a team to defend. But for a club side... Uh, I honestly think that if like Atletico sacked Simeone and brought in Pochettino, like, they could make a real step forward. Like they're kind of locked into third right now in Spain, and they were well off the pace this year. Which again, given the amount of money they've spent in their squad, they should be better. They're underachieving at least domestically. We'll see what they achieve in in Europe. No, I think you're making a decent point about their club performance, especially in the league this season. Let's talk about the MLS final. Uh, Portland two, Orlando one, in a final that. You know, it was not bad. And this is, I think, a successful tournament when you look back at how MLS was able to to pull it off safely after Dallas and Nashville had to go home due to COVID positives, but there were not positives after that. And that allowed us to talk about the soccer. And 
you know, Portland's a team that I picked before this final to win the game. You have to be impressed with what Oscar Pereja did with Orlando City. But in the end, I thought Portland deserved this. And when you look at MLS, I think you want to start with a team that has a team structure, right? They have a solid base from which to build, and then they've nailed their attacking signings. And the thing that I'm, that most sticks out to me when I watch Portland is Sebastian Blanco, fantastic. Yeah. Valeri has been really good, even though he's getting up there in age. Great job by them to keep him and not have him be a, 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 a DP. Jeremy Ibobisi coming through, I think has become a top-level MLS center forward. I think the signing that they made from Poland, I think, Nishgoda, yeah. really impressed with him as a player. Marvin Luria has contributed. They have so many guys going forward, and that ultimately is what MLS clubs, most of them spent the biggest amount of money on their attackers. That's what you have to get right. And yet, two center backs scored the goals for Portland right. in the final. Exactly. I mean, like the set pieces were good and good deliveries. And you mentioned Diego Valeri. This is a guy who obviously has been tremendously important in the history of Portland over several years now. But he still brings a lot to the table. And for them, I think it was really important that after all the contract back and forth last year, they were able to keep him. And also that he's kind of understanding that maybe over a seven-game tournament, he can't start every game, whereas in years previous, first name of the team sheet, Diego Valeri. But at his age, he's accepted that I don't think he's a super sub, but I also think he's okay coming off the bench and making an impact in that way and can do so. That's not necessarily easy for if he started to transition into that sort of role. So I think Valeri's been absolutely massive for the growth of Portland Timbers and was huge in the game against Orlando as well, even though, as you mentioned, the center backs come in. And look, I think they've done well enough in those central defensive areas and, and at wingback in order to have solid players. That's ultimately what you need to have in MLS. Diego Chara is probably the best holding midfielder in the league, but from a defensive point of view, you just need to have good enough, and I think Portland Timbers do, both at goalkeeper and in their back four. You mentioned Jeremy Bobasi. We had him on the podcast uh, recently, so he's a really interesting guy on and off the field. Eric Williamson, to me, has been a really good find, and I thought emerged during this tournament. Yeah, and ultimately the goal for some of these clubs is for them to start bringing through some of their own. Now, uh, Jeremy Bobasi, you know, was former DC United, and he also played at Duke, but he was kind of a fine for them. And then Eric Williamson's a player who's been at their uh, Timbers 2 side and has kind of been growing within the organization as well. Generally, a team like Portland, and and Merritt Paulson has said that Maybe in Portland, we're not going to find young players that we can bring through, but you still want to be able to find some homegrown players, whether they're out of college or whether they come through your academy. You want to be able to start to bleed through some of those young players. And I think with Loria as well, with Williamson and with Ibobasi, there are some players that were legitimate finds that you know were in the college system and that uh, came through at Portland Timbers. So I just think they've done well in every major aspect. Major acquisitions, bringing through younger players, your mid-level roster. They just have a solid team. Yeah, Gavin Wilkinson, deserve some credit there for what he's done to help put that roster together. He does the same thing for the Portland Thorns and has been doing it pretty well for a long time. Also, Portland gets a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League by winning the MLS's back tournament. So uh, I think they also got $300,000, which seems like it should have been more uh, for the (laughs) final. But a very long month down in Orlando, inside the bubble. Uh, Respect to all the media that were down there and all the players and everyone else that allowed that tournament to happen. And Chris, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, here's my interview with Dr. Celine Gounder. 
our guest now is my wife, Dr. Celine Gounder, an infectious disease specialist and medical analyst for CNN who hosts the Epidemic Podcast, which you should definitely check out. Thanks for joining me. Sure. So I want to get your sense as an expert on MLS's decision to stage games in home venues, including a few that will have fans in them. Dallas is hosting Nashville for two games this week. These are the two teams that couldn't play in the MLS bubble tournament because they brought too many positive cases from their home markets. What's more, up to 5,000 fans will be allowed in the Dallas area for these games. They will be required to wear masks and social distance. What are your thoughts on that decision to allow fans? Well, you have to look at where these teams are coming from. So Dallas, Texas, Nashville, Tennessee, these are areas that even now currently have very high rates of community transmission of coronavirus. And so, you know, I really uh, stratify or assess the risk of doing something like this based on the local geography and the people who are going to be there. So unfortunately, both of these teams are coming from very real hotspots, and whether it's the players or the fans, they could be carrying coronavirus with them and they could be infecting one another. So to me, this doesn't sound like a really good plan. The majority of MLS teams will not have fans, but will be staging games in home venues with no bubble in place like they've had in Orlando for the past month. This plan is similar to what MLB is doing, uh, baseball, and MLS says there will be special protocols, including testing in place for players and team staffs. We've seen MLB cancel games after outbreaks with the St. Louis and Miami teams. Is this a good idea, in your opinion, for MLS to stage these games uh, at home in non-fan venues? The way I think about uh, controlling coronavirus transmission is it's it's a layer of different things that you, none of them are perfect. Um, none of them are going to prevent all transmission on their own. But when you layer them one on top of the other, you do have a, a real impact. And so testing by itself may not really do much to curb transmission, but you combine testing with plans to isolate uh, with with social distancing, with mask wearing, then you have a real impact. And I think the MLB's experience really attests to the fact that testing without putting the bubble in place and some of these other measures, that just doesn't work. Um, so, you know, I, I do think it's concerning that they're not trying to create a bubble for the players who are going to be going to places where there is quite a lot of transmission in the community. If MLS asked you right now, what would you recommend to them given the current state of the virus in the U.S.? Well, I would seriously rethink uh, the Dallas-Nashville games. Uh, I think those are um, high risk. Uh, both those teams have already demonstrated that uh, they're at high risk, have had cases of coronavirus on the teams. Um, and I would really hold off uh, on, on doing something like that, at least until the local transmission rates are lower and or they're able to um, plan for a bubble style tournament where players are tested and quarantined uh, in advance of play to make sure that it's safe. So if anything, you would recommend another bubble tournament for MLS as opposed to playing in home venues? Yeah, 
exactly. Another bubble tournament um, and learn from the lessons of the first one. What went wrong? Do that better. Um, incorporate more testing. Uh, make sure people are wearing masks. Make sure that bubble is really tight. I think, you know, a, a leaky punctured bubble that lets uh, people through one way or the other uh, really puts players and others at risk. So in, in many ways, the bubble worked for the first bubble tournament in MLS. They did not have any transmission of positive cases inside the bubble. The two teams that brought the virus, Nashville and Dallas, were caught and, and weren't, didn't play in the tournament. But I guess just from a mental health perspective, these players have been, who've been in the bubble for like Portland, um, in Orlando have, you know, made it to the final. They were away from their families for over a month. From a mental health perspective, is it something you would recommend for another bubble tournament? I guess it depends on your commitment to the sport. Um, you know, I, I do think we are in a strange time right now where a lot of us are having to make sacrifices. And I think ultimately, if your commitment is to the sport, um, you know, unfortunately, it may mean having to be away from family and others for at least the period of the tournament. We're seeing some major college football conferences canceling their fall seasons now due to the virus. Some conferences are still looking for ways to play the fall season. College sports are different from professional sports in several ways. Uh, Football is different from soccer in some ways. What do you think college football should do for this fall? I do think it's an important point that college sports are different from professional sports. College athletes are on campus with all the other college students. And so it's not just about their own risk as a team. It's also about their risk to the entire college community. That includes the students as well as all of the faculty and staff. Um, and the, the community in which they are living. And many of those communities are small towns that don't have the healthcare systems, the public health infrastructure to deal with a huge outbreak of COVID on campus. So I, I do think it's a very different kind of calculation, um, especially because those college students are not going to be existing in their own bubble of, of college football players separate from everybody else. Do you expect to see a second wave of the virus in the U.S. this fall and winter? I do think you'll see a second wave of the virus in certain areas, and it'll be in areas that have done a good job of controlling transmission um, and then have reintroductions from the outside. So places like New York City. In most of the country, um, it's been one long plateau, one you know flat curve of ongoing transmission. And so we're just going to see a, a continuation of that in most of the country. And do you think next summer's Olympics in Japan and the European Soccer Championship taking place all around Europe will happen? I think this is really still very much up in the air. I think that's an unanswered question. I think a lot of this will hinge on availability of a vaccine by that time. Um, who gets their hands on that vaccine already? You have the United States, the UK, the EU putting in pre-orders for hundreds of millions of doses of vaccine? And will those doses of vaccine be equitably distributed? Um, If they truly are equitably distributed, the fact is the athletes competing in those tournaments would not be the first in line to get them. But as we have seen with testing, people who are powerful, famous, rich, have gotten testing ahead of other people who were really, truly at risk. Um, And so I would not be surprised if uh, the athletes got their hands on 
vaccine and we're able to compete. Dr. Celine Gounder is an infectious disease specialist and medical analyst for CNN who hosts the Epidemic Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Dr. Celine Gounder as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of the Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time.